Welcome to The Mind Renewed. They're so worried that they've got to take over down here the direction of where it's going and get a one world system together, get rid of nationalities, and get one government, one religion, so we won't have war. That's the effort of man to bring about his own salvation. Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to the second interview in the two-parter with Dr. Martin Erdman on the subject of technocracy and the smart grid. Last time we were talking about technocracy, and this time, predictably enough, we're going to be talking about the smart grid. But before we get on with that, there are a few things that I wanted to say. First of all, there's a slight addition to the website, not very much, but I think quite a useful addition, and that is a message page. If you go to the homepage and you go to the menu where you have all those tabs, if you get to the support tab, when you hover the mouse over that, a second tier tab appears with the word message, and if you click on that, it takes you to a page on which I'm able to communicate on various things with people listening to the podcast. So I used that when there was a problem with the iTunes feed and the RSS feed, and also when there was a problem with the digital radio service TuneIn, which I think has been resolved now. But certainly, if anything else untoward happens with the website or anything connected with the website, then please do go to that tab and have a look, because that's where I shall be putting messages. The other thing is, uh, thanks again to people who've sent in emails. It's, it's always great, as I keep saying, it's always great to have that communication. Um, and I do try to respond to all the emails that come in, except that I wasn't able to respond to Irene, who sent me a very encouraging message. And I really did want to respond, but I wasn't able to because the email address that I was given bounced for some reason. So, Irene, if you're listening, please do send me another message and then I'll be able to get back to you, which I really would like to do. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say is that it's now the summer vacation here in the UK. And things are not quite as predictable as they are during term time. So I'm going to try to keep the podcast going as regularly as I can. But there may be a delay of a, of a few days. That's just the way it is with uh, vacation periods. Anyway, so that's the end of the messages here. And we move on to the interview, the second interview in this two-parter with Dr. Martin Erdman on the subject of the smart grid. Hello everybody, this is Julian Charles here again of themindrenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I'm delighted again to welcome back to the programme Dr. Martin Erdman for the second part of a conversation on the subject of technocracy and the smart grid. And of course, if you didn't manage to catch the first part last time in which we were talking about the ideas and the history of technocracy, then I recommend, of course, very strongly that you go and listen to that because that gives the background to what we shall be talking about today, which is going to be mainly on the subject of the smart grid and how that threatens to be a fulfillment of many of the aspirations of the technocratic designs for the world. 
So let me introduce again uh, Dr. Erdman. Dr. Erdman was most recently Professor of Philosophy at North Greenville University and currently Director of the Verax Institute in Greer, South Carolina. He has served as Head of New Testament Studies at the State Independent Seminary in Basel, Switzerland, and the Academy of Reformation Theology in Hanover, Germany. He also taught all courses in Biblical Studies at Patrick Henry College in Northern Virginia and was for several years Senior Scientist at the University Hospital in Basel and research fellow at the European Foundation of Clinical Nanomedicine, researching into the ethical implications of nanotechnology. So once again, Dr. Erdman, may I thank you very much indeed for joining us for this second part of this conversation. You're welcome. Now, as I said, in the, the first part of the conversation, you gave us a great deal of information about the history and the concepts of the technocracy movement, which had its beginnings at least as a movement, it had its beginnings back in the 1930s, America. And you explained to us how its intellectual roots reached back to the very utopian and uh, anti-supernaturalist philosophies, or, or might even say religions in a way, of uh, Henri Saint-Simon and Auguste Comte. And as I said before, for, for details of that, I, I refer people back to the first part of our conversation. But just to refresh our memories and uh, prime the pump, as it were, for this conversation today. Could you just give us a brief summary of what technocracy actually is? Yes. Well, technocracy is really a term which describes a form of government in which experts in technology would be in control of all decision-making. So it's basically scientists and engineers, technologists, bankers, just anyone who has some expert knowledge in his particular field would be qualified to exercise political control over a country. A technocracy is not a democracy. It is anything but. It is a totalitarian system and always has been conceived as a totalitarian system. As you remember, I went back into the history of it, and it has obviously very close connections to socialism, utopian socialism. And this is basically the philosophy which was promoted by Henri Saint-Simon and Auguste Kant. So again, technocracy is a form of government, but it is far more than just a form of government. This comes out in the writings of Henri Saint-Simon because he basically labeled it as a religion more in his later years than in his earlier years. In his last book, which was published in the year of his death, 1825, he entitled the book New Christianity. He wanted to set up a, a new religion because he realized that his philosophy in regards to setting up the, the ideal society in France, first and foremost, but ultimately across the world, would not uh, be taken up by the, the masses of the people unless it would be a religion. So he incorporated that religious aspect into his philosophy to promote his philosophy, which ultimately should be the ideal society of the world. And when we come to the 1930s technocratic movement, am I right in thinking that that religious aspect was not really picked up by the founders of that movement in quite the same way anyway? That is correct. The technocrats in America in the early 20th century were staunch atheists. That is correct. And they did not pick up the religious aspects of the philosophy which was incorporated in Sosimor's concept as well as August Kant's. They did not do that. That is correct. 
But I believe if you look at the whole scheme of things, if you analyze that particular philosophy, even of the technocrats in America in the early 20th century, you will come to the conclusion that it is still based on utopian concepts. And utopianism has always very close links to a religious worldview. Mm -hmm. So even though they were not explicitly promoting a religion, I believe implicitly due to the, to the utopian aspect of their particular philosophy, there was still a religious element in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, just going back to one thing that we did mention last time, I brought up the name of Julian Huxley and how he represents that kind of intellectual tradition in which religion he actually proposes in his uh, humanist frame that religion should be used as a tool in order to get people to accept a new world system. So that idea is certainly alive in the middle of the 20th century, so presumably in the modern world. Yeah, absolutely. And you may remember that Julian Huxley was very fond of the writings of Pierre Teilhard de Chardin. Uh -huh. and, and he always brought in some concept which he picked up from his writings into his own books. So, yes, there is a very strong religious aspect to uh, the writings of Julian Huxley. But I also want to remind you of his brothers, Aldous Huxley's very strong leanings towards mysticism. He wrote a whole book, which is really an ontology of mystical writings. Is this the perennial philosophy? That is correct. This is the title of, was the title oh. of, of that particular book. And so there is also a strong mystical streak within uh, those particular writings of, of the Huxley brothers. Indeed, that would be a, a very interesting conversation in its own right. Um, yes. Of course, I want to ask particularly about how the smart grid looks like it's going to be fitting into this whole idea of technocracy in the modern world. Now, the technocratic study course, which we talked about last time, calls for the complete monitoring and control of energy as a major factor in the functioning of a world technocratic state. Of course, initially uh, the US that it was talking about. But of course, back in the 1930s, the technology was such that it wasn't actually possible to control and monitor all the usage of energy in a given economy. But of course, as we know, that has radically changed now with the development of digital technology. And we now have a system which is being developed, which... I guess on the surface looks as if it's benign and very desirable in many ways, but which has very serious hidden dangers, and that is the so-called smart grid, which is being constructed not only in the US, but increasingly right across the globe. So could I ask you to explain to us what the smart grid actually is? Well, yes, the smart grid is a very popular concept, but many people don't really understand what it stands for or what is behind it. Let me just give you a very brief definition of it. The smart grid is a broad technical term that encompasses the generation, distribution, and consumption of electrical power. And sometimes this also includes gas, natural gas, and water supply. It is basically a system which uh, controls the energy use of a particular population. And it is, as you rightly noted, it is a digital system. It is not an analog system anymore as it used to be. 
like the meters which we used to have in our houses or outside of our houses were all analog meters. In other words, employees from a power company had to come to our house and had to read the consumption of energy on a periodical basis. Now, this has been changed. Once these digital meters, they are called smart meters, are installed, they are outfitted with the capability of communicating via Wi-Fi with a particular power company so the data can be transmitted via these uh, Wi-Fi signals. And there's no need for anyone to come out to your home and, and read the meters anymore. It's a two-way communication system. So in other words, the power company can read, can collect the data from your particular power consumption as well as interfere with how you consume energy. But let, let us address that particular topic later on. Let me just try to explain the smart grid more in general terms. It was an idea which the early technocrats came up with. Howard Scott and M. King Hubbard, these two principal leaders of the technocratic movement, wrote that technocratic static guide, which you referred to earlier on. It was a textbook in order to implement technocracy in America. It had very specific goals mentioned of what needs to be done, what needs to happen in order to implement technocracy. And the most important aspect was the control of energy, energy mm-hmm. generation, distribution, and consumption. Back at that time, and as you know, the study guide was published in 1934. Back at that time, the technology was not available to control the generation and consumption of electrical energy. But in our time, we can control the generation, distribution, and consumption of energy if these smart meters are installed. So the most important aspect of making that system work is the installation of the smart meters in every single home. And uh, going back to those four points that Patrick Wood mentioned, the control, the monitoring, the allocation and the distribution being part of the technocratic idea in the first place, this all points in the direction of removing control from the consumer so that the consumer shouldn't just use how they want to use electricity, when they want to use it, but it being controlled from the top so that it is fair and it is non-wasteful, etc., But although those things sound like good ideals to fulfill, nevertheless, it does mean that the consumer is being put in the position of one who is on the receiving end and having no control over the system at all. Would you think that's fair? Yes, this is a fair statement. I think the ultimate goal is that the control of how I use energy in my home, the ultimate goal is to take that control away from me to centralize the decision-making process in regards to how energy is used in a society. However, it is a process. It cannot be implemented from one day to the next, a process which will take years, perhaps even a decade, to be implemented. I believe strongly that we need to resist that development and thus we need to beware of the very first steps and to prevent the initial implementation of it or the setting in motion of a process, I believe this is important for us to realize because many people are totally ignorant of what is happening around them in regards to these uh, matters. 
and must they need to be enlightened and, and taught what is really being done and what the ultimate outcome uh, will be in regards to setting up a smart grid. I think one thing we need to do is just expand the vision we have here of the smart grid, because so far in the conversation, we have likened the smart meter to a kind of super digital meter, which is able to communicate two ways. So you have the information from the household going to the energy company and and vice versa, and uh, the way the energy company is able to control the amount of energy that comes into the house and that kind of thing. But if we bring in the fact, as far as I understand it, that we will have a Wi-Fi enablement of the smart meter in the house such that it will be able to communicate to the various appliances in the house as well that they will be Wi-Fi enabled. It means that the energy company and anybody who's hooked up to the energy company that is outside of your house, who you may not know who they are, but whoever's hooked up to that system will have information about the various appliances that you are actually using in your house, when you're using them, how much energy is being used, whether you should be using them in, them in that way. So the two-way communication is actually quite a complex communication in which a lot of personal information is being tapped by people who you don't know outside of your house. Do you have anything to comment about that? Yes. Well, I agree with every statement you just made, except it is not necessarily people who monitor the use of your energy. It will be just computer algorithms it is more frightening if you look at it from that angle because ultimately there is no recourse. You cannot just go to the power company and complain or to the political authorities because they can say, well, it is set up by a specific computer system and the computers make the best choices based on the data they are given in a particular area. And thus, we just need to rely on these computer systems. And interfering with these systems would disrupt the whole setup. Ultimately, there will be no recourse. And the other idea is these programs can be changed just by political authorities giving some mandates down to the power companies in order to change the setup of these programs. And you don't have any say in, in the way how these programs are being changed. So if the use of electricity in a particular area is too high, these programs can be changed in such a way that the energy consumption is being lowered. And this will affect uh, the way how you can uh, use your heating system and other electrical appliances in your home. You will not be able to interfere with these uh, directives. So there, there are clear dangers if the decisions are made by mm -hmm. computer programs. So there's a possibility here for a kind of conceit, really, that the political decisions can be made and yet if any consumer were to complain the energy company could then just immediately say well the algorithm is set up in accordance with natural law that which is best for the operating of the whole system therefore we, we can't change anything but that really is a kind of cover or could be used as a cover for political decisions which are anything but in accordance with natural law absolutely and the larger the area will be the more impersonal it will be. Just think if you have to make a decision in regards to how energy is being consumed within your particular city, which is extremely complex. You have to think of multiple different scenarios and bring these scenarios into your deliberations. 
but think of how difficult it would be for an entire country like England and how ultimately impossible it would be to make these decisions in regards to the entire world. But this is exactly what these proponents of a smart grid have in mind. They want to have a global smart grid system. And a global smart grid system will be governed by just a handful of politicians or even scientists who make all the decisions for all the people in all the nations. And I believe this is utter conceit. This cannot be done. I expect that the system will ultimately self-destruct or at least cause a lot of chaos because centralized decisions cannot really address their local needs and and thus it will not work. Mm -hmm. It would also entail that the economies would be very much socialist economies because it would seem to remove a great deal of the incentive for anybody to work for their living. After all, a lot of our money is spent on buying energy, but that would be obsolete you, you would be allocated energy as it presumably you'd be allocated all sorts of things yes it, it will be a perfect socialist system which is so utopian that it cannot work due to the fact that human beings are not wired to just work for all the other people in the world mm. for no specific uh, purpose and no specific remuneration so it, it will not work looking back into history we, we know that every socialist system which has been tried has ultimately ended in chaos. Indeed, coming back to what we said before, there's always the necessity of creating the new human in order for the socialist system to work. So that problem is going to remain. Well, you are once again perfectly correct in noting that the new man needs to be created. The question still remains, how? How can a new person be created? How can his thinking be changed so that obviously a utopian system could work? As a matter of fact, there's only one clear answer to this. It will not work unless you commit yourself to Jesus Christ, because he promised in the scriptures that he will make a person new. I just remind you of one passage which just comes to my mind, Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. I would like to quote it to you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And then verse 18, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So the Bible is very clear on this point. There is only one chance how human beings can change, and that change needs to be brought about by God himself. And the way how he does it is, by giving us the opportunity to believe in his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of human beings. And he offers us full forgiveness of whatever sin we committed. And if we receive his forgiveness by faith, we also know that we will have eternal life. So the hope which the gospel presents to us goes beyond this earthly existence. It includes all eternity. So this is really the only hope which we can offer to anyone who wants to change his life. And it's not our offer, it's the offer of the Almighty God. All these utopian ideas which human beings have come up with over the centuries, including transhumanism, including technocracy, including socialism, 
all these utopian ideas cannot be brought about. The only way how we can become new creatures is by believing in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I experienced it in my own life. When I turned about 18, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I can say, I can testify from one second to the next, my life had wonderfully changed. And from that moment onward, I knew I had eternal life. I knew my sins were forgiven. And this is really the gospel message that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can experience the same new life, which transcends this earthly existence. And I absolutely agree with you, and yes. thank you for your testimony. Yes, and thus the aspect of religion is paramount in the minds of these individuals who want to promote that system. Let's just think through what is important in regards to religion. A religion makes specific demands on a person who follows that religion, and this person would not follow through unless he thinks he is doing some service to God or some, some supernatural entity. And thus, if a technocracy is imposed, it will demand from the people subjected to technocracy a great deal, a great deal of sacrifice. And if it's not communicated as a religion, they would rebel, they would not be willing to go along. Yeah. And do you feel that uh, a likely contender for this religious aspect to the technocratic system would likely be some form of ecological mysticism, because that would seem to my mind to fit very much with the idea of not using too many non-renewable resources and looking after the environment and that sort of thing. Would you agree that that kind of green religion would be the ideal system? Yes, I would agree. It is some type of environmental mysticism, what you call a green religion. Lovelock, James Lovelock, introduced the concept of Gaia, Gaia being the world as a living organism, and we have to take care of the needs of that particular living organism. We have to preserve energy and, and, and things like that. I believe this plays a very strong part in all of it. And he's always very careful, James Lovelock himself, not to go quite so far as to say that Gaia is actually a spiritual entity, although there are many people who read what he says and people who subscribe to that kind of thinking in very much that kind of way. Yes, once again, I agree with you. However, you have to understand the whole concept of organicism, which is basically uh, the basis of his particular philosophy in regards to Gaia. And organicism, if you look at it very closely, came out of mysticism. And, and thus, you can make a, a strong point that it is extremely religious, in, in the mystical sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Even though Lovelock would refrain from calling God or, or using some such term. Uh, it would be very interesting to talk to you about that particular subject in its own right at some point. But uh, as we are talking about the smart grid here, one thing that I think very strongly about this is that as this system proceeds to be developed, it will be necessary at some point to force people to accept this system because it seems to me in order for this to work it has to be a total system now at the moment price incentives could easily be used to coax people into the system so that they feel they will they will save money by having these new products and new meters that's not to say that it will always be as cheap as it as it is to start with but do you foresee that eventually there will come a time when people will actually be forced to take these meters yes i can tell you a few 
anecdotes, a few reports I received from some of my friends here in America. I have some friends who live in Florida and they told me that the power company just came out and installed the digital smart meters and they didn't want them to do that. But the personnel of the power company said, well, the meters are the, the property of the power company and the house owner has no say in regards to whether or not these meters should be changed from an analog system to a digital system. So they just did it. My friends didn't have any say uh, whether or not this should be done. It was just done. But once the smart meter was installed, they noticed that the next month, the electricity bill which was sent to them was double as high as the bill the previous month. That's certainly not what you would expect, no. No. Obviously, the, the main argument is energy efficiency and cost reduction. It didn't play out that way. It was just very opposite in regards to the experience of my friends. Uh, maybe I'm um, anticipating what you're going to say here, but I can imagine what the response of the energy company might be. And that would be to say that this is the beginnings of a new system for your household. As you buy new appliances that are fit for the new system, you will find that then you will reap these rewards. Yes. As a matter of fact, I really don't know how the energy company rationalized the, the jump in cost. I, I was just told that the cost doubled. However, in the meantime, I read some of the brochures which were published by the State Department of Energy here in the state of South Carolina. And in these brochures, the specific power companies are mandated to reduce the consumption of energy over the next year, next two years, next five years, next 10 years. And the deduction is continuous. The possibility is not given for an increase in power consumption. It's always the mandate is always to reduce the consumption of energy. And the way how the power companies can accomplish that uh, mandate or can fulfill that mandate is by giving specific inducements, incentives. And one incentive, which is described in these brochures, is to tell them that the cost of energy would be reduced if they would be willing to sign a paper which would give control of their particular electrical appliances over to the power company. So in essence, they say, well, if you want to save some money in regards to your electricity bill, you just have to agree in writing that some of the control over the use of your own appliances are given over to the power company. I, I believe this is the way how they do it over here, at least in America. First, they hike the cost of energy once these smart meters are installed. And then they come around and tell the people, well, if, if you want that cost being reduced again, you just have to give up some of the control over the use of energy in your own home. And the particular two units mostly mentioned are the heating system and obviously the air conditioning system, the cooling system. We live here in the South, so the cooling system runs 24 hours per day uh, during the summer months. So these are the two main items which you are asked to rescind your control over to the power company if you want your energy bill to be reduced again. 
So in those cases where people are finding that their meters are being changed without their knowledge, they're suddenly finding themselves in, as it were, half a system where they've got these increased bills and the only way that they can reduce their bills is by signing over their rights to the company and losing control of their whole electricity system. Well, that's exactly how they do it. The way how they do it is not by force, at least at the moment. It is by other incentives. And uh, I suspect that one of the main reasons why this is happening, at least the reason that will be given for this, is to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. That is correct. Yeah, this is this is a reason. And it is really a false reason. It is a pretense. Because just think about it. The technocratic study course, that textbook, was authored and published in 1934. And it had detailed instructions of how to monitor the use of energy. And in that entire book, there was no mentioning of climate change or any such uh, notion. There was no, no conversation, no public conversation in regards to um, CO2 emissions. So even though they had already uh, fought out the specific a process of how to introduce technocracy by the control of energy, they had to come up with some rationale of how to promote it. And that rationale became the argument in regards to climate change. Do you feel that we see some evidence of that choosing of uh, anthropogenic global warming theory as a, as a way of achieving this in the statements that we find in the publications of the Club of Rome, where they say, um, I think this is in their 1991 publication, about this uh, global warming would fit the bill? Yes, exactly. I mean, the Club of Rome was, was the organization which more or less initiated that public debate. It was a doomsday agenda which they promoted in order to motivate the people to become very concerned in regards to how they use energy. Once again, I, I believe, that's my personal opinion, I believe it is a made-up argument. It is not really based on hard scientific facts. Well, that would certainly fit with the guests that I've had on the podcast uh, to do with climate change so far who have been of the opinion that this is being politically driven and uh, this would very much therefore fit with what we're talking about today. I wanted to ask you about further about how the smart grid is being implemented across the globe. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of global institutions. I mean, one is the International Electrotechnical Commission, the IEC, which is an NGO. And I understand that uh, most of the countries of the world are signed up to this NGO in one way or another. There's also the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, the IEEE, which has hundreds of thousands of members spread right across the world. So is it your understanding that uh, these organizations and, and maybe others like them are fully on board with this program? Yes, they are. As a matter of fact, these are the organizations which were chosen to implement the setting up of a smart grid globally, especially the International Electrotechnical Commission plays a very strong role, as well as the IEEE. This is a global organization. It's, it's really more or less an association of electrical engineers. And if I remember correctly, there are 395,000 members worldwide who belong to that particular association. And most of them are electrical engineers. As a matter of fact, I have a close friend who is a professor of electrical engineering at Baylor University, and he has 
he has confirmed to me in private conversation that these concerns are very valid, that that particular organization, IEEE, is heavily involved in the implementation of the smart grid project mm -hmm. across the world. And Patrick Wood says that these uh, organizations and many others as well are in receipt of a great deal of subsidy from uh, the US and other countries around the world. He says that the Department of Energy has been allocated billions and billions of dollars under the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act um, in order to, so they say, to stimulate industry in the right green direction. And um, there's, there's one thing here that he says that I'd like to bring up a little quote from him. He says, the current crisis of capitalism is being used to implement a radical new economic system that will completely supplant it. So do you agree, to, to, to what extent do you think the current economic crisis is being deliberately exploited here in order to serve as a, an excuse to funnel all this money in the direction of implementing the smart grid? Well, once again, you have to go into, or you have to read some of the publications which come out of the United Nation, especially there's one organization abbreviated UNEP, UN Environmental Program, which has come out with some publications spelling out what they really intend to do. And the main concept is to change what they call the brown economy, the economy which we have in place today, to exchange the brown economy with a so-called green economy. And by green economy, they basically mean an economy which is not governed by business principles anymore. It is a political concept, obviously, again, taken out of socialism, and they just rationalized it by saying that a brown economy will eventually bring this world to its knees, will destroy this world as we know it, and we need to change the economy to a green economy in order to preserve the world. But once again, it's, it's just a pretense. It's an argument which is used to rationalize what they want to do. It is not based on, on, on scientific facts. Mm -hmm. And the kind of socialism that seems to be implied here, doesn't, at least it doesn't seem to me to be what I think of as the communist variety in that kind of um, command economy way, but rather a kind of corporate fascist approach where you you have massive corporations in bed with governmental structures and subsidy to bring about particular policies. Um, I don't know whether you agree with that. I mean, earlier this year in Davos, we had that meeting there of the World Economic Forum where they were calling for $14 trillion to be spent over the next, I can't remember how many years it is, in order to stimulate supposedly private business uh, in the direction of a green economy. Yes, again, uh, Davos is a very important conference which needs to be brought into this discussion because it is Davos World Economic Forum which basically mandates what needs to happen in the, next, in the near future in regards to that particular development of a global smart grid. So yes, we need to be uh, concerned about the things which are being discussed at Davos. And you are correct, there is no necessary, no public discussion really going on whether or not this should be done. It is mandated from above. Mm -hmm. So basically, uh, President Obama just issues some executive orders 
And when Morris mandates that X number of billion dollars are being spent on the implementation of these smart grid initiatives, I have some figures in front of me, as a matter of fact, which I would like to quote to you. Mm -hmm. On October the 27th, 2009, the Obama administration unveiled its smart grid plan by awarding $3.4 billion to 100 smart grid projects here in the United States. And the Department of Energy then was asked to implement these different projects and they engaged the Battelle Memorial Institute, which is a private uh, research institute, to actually implement these different projects because a governmental agency cannot receive public funds. So they awarded these public funds to a private institute and they started uh, different pilot projects. In one project, they installed these smart meters at the homes of 60,000 customers in different states, different Western states in America, just to see how well this system could work on a smaller scale. But these pilot projects are then obviously expanded, and ultimately the entire country should be set up on the smart grid. I wanted to ask you, as this technology continues to develop, and we've been talking about how the appliances in people's houses, like uh, fridges, central heating systems, uh, even water meters, gas meters, will be wirelessly enabled to communicate with this system. Um, we've talked to some extent about what implications this will have in terms of customer freedoms, but we haven't quite discussed so much uh, in terms of security for people and privacy for people's information because, as we know, thanks to recent revelations, if you didn't know already, um, various companies are likely to have all kinds of snooping arrangements with intelligence agencies and the like, and there's going to be a great deal of information that's uh, going backwards and forwards outside of people's houses to automated systems, as you say, but those automated systems will be tappable in various ways by intelligence agencies and whoever, we don't know. Um, do you think there are many implications for our privacy and our personal security with this system? Yes, basically privacy will be a thing of the past. Once these Wi-Fi enabled smart grid meters are installed, the communication in regards to how you use energy will be made available to the power company and the power company will make it available to uh, the National Security Agency here in the United States and different other agencies, governmental agencies. So yes, uh, privacy will be a thing of the past, even much more so than it is already. So they will be able to make clear projections of your behavior, of how you conduct your life based on the pattern of energy consumption in your home. They will know uh, when you turn on the computer, they will know how long you will spend on your computer. They will know when you turn it off, go over to your living room and, and watch TV and things like that. They will all know that information. And there are different so-called fusion centers put in place here in the United States, which collect that particular data as much as it is available to them. And then again, there are different computer programs which will produce a particular profile of you based on the information which is being collected about how you, you live your life. And these profiles then will be used as screening devices for your particular employer and, and for the governmental and agencies and 
And so yeah, yes, privacy is a it's a very big issue. And indeed, I was just reminded when you were saying that that is part of the technocratic dream that everybody should be in their proper place. Everybody should find the employment that is right for them. So if you have these profiles that are automatically generated, so the employer can just go and have a look and find the perfect person for the the right job. That's all part of the system, isn't it? Yes. As a matter of fact, in some ways, it is already implemented. I heard some some stories, some reports from once again friends of mine who decided to change their membership from one church to another. And once they appeared at the new church, the pastor interviewed them. And the second time they came around to speak with the pastor, he basically was informed uh, about many private things which my friends didn't divulge to them in the first meeting. And when finally they found out that he was able to tap into some database and the information was made available to the database by the first church, and thus he was able to know particular details about the lives of my friends, which he would not be able to had he not had accessibility to that database. Indeed, it's, it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, so uh, even in that particular small area, you can mm. see uh, the consequences when private data is being shared and, and you don't have any control over it. Indeed, uh, that, that is very frightening. And uh, I, I think we do need, though, to make it clear that this system is going to be even more invasive than we've been discussing so far, because there is also the possibility that this system would also be hooked up to the Internet of Things. And if that's the case, then we could be talking about Wi-Fi enablement for clothes and food packets, um, all sorts of products that we use. So there'd be a tremendous amount of information that would be passed through these systems every second of every day, not only in our house, but wherever we walk, whatever shop we walk through. This does seem to be a really, really frightening prospect. Do you think there is a possibility that this system would be hand-in-hand with the Internet of Things? Yes. I mean, the Internet of Things, this is the system which needs to be utilized in order to share that information. As you may know, the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory developed a small circuit board called the Grid-Friendly Appliance Controller, which can be installed in just about every electronic appliance you have in your home, be it a hairdryer, be it a washing machine, be it the tumbling machine or the refrigerator, it can be installed in every single electronic device in your home. And that particular circuit board then can communicate with a smart meter, which is installed usually outside of your home, and the smart meter communicates that information to the power company and so on and so forth. So yes, the control mechanisms which can be put in place are basically all encompassing. They, they will be comprehensive and no aspect or just about no aspect of your life will be left untouched. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing I wanted to ask you, which I hadn't actually planned to ask you about, but it's crossed my mind now. Do you see that this total system that is envisaged here could possibly be a fulfillment of that which we read about in the book of Revelation, where we are told that uh, nobody can participate in economic life unless they're signed up to this system which will be introduced one day well if we can equate technocracy with what is prophesied in the bible uh, is an open question centuries ago martin luther already thought that the catholic church was a system which uh, is prophesied in the book of revelation so it is a bit difficult to make a one-to-one comparison 
but mm. surely certain aspects within technocracy would be very similar to what is being prophesied in, for example, Revelation 13, uh, the appearance of the Antichrist, and he is portrayed as being a world ruler. He has, he will have political control, economic control over all the nations in the world. And in some ways, what does he need to have in order to exercise that control? I mean, if you have control over energy generation, distribution, and consumption, you have a whole lot of control over just about everyone in this world. And in that sense, I believe, yes, technocracy is an anti-Christian system which is being put in place. There are certain warnings which the Bible obviously um, gives us in regards to that system. So this may not actually be the final system, but it fits in with that typology, and it's one thing that we should be aware of, that that could be moving in, at least this could be moving in that kind of direction. This is how I would phrase it correctly, yes. Mm -hmm. So my final question really has to be, this is a very frightening vision. So what, in your view, can we do to combat this? Now, I'm going to, as I ask this question, I'm going to mention one of the things which James Corbett often says, where he suggests that we can, at least we can resist this by ceasing to feed the system. And, of course, we feed the system by... Uh, fueling it with our dollars and our pounds, our euros, every time we buy a product that is going to be hooked up or is hooked up to this system, every time we buy from corporations that are part of developing this infrastructure. So he maintains, and I, I think he makes a very good point, that we must find creative ways of disengaging from that system and creating alternative approaches and alternative communities. Um, do you agree with that approach? Do you have anything to add to that approach? I think this is good advice in general, but it is more difficult to really follow through with this advice on a daily basis because we are dependent on certain products and uh, they are offered to us by companies which may be part of that system, but we don't have an alternative. So as much as we can follow that advice, I believe it's good advice to disengage in regards to some of the aspects of modern life. However, we are also forced into a specific situation, and if we don't go along, it will be very difficult for us to continue existing. However, I would say the most important aspect in making that system work is the installation of the smart meters. If this can be prevented or at least hindered to some degree, we can have a high degree of, of success in, in preventing the implementation of technocracy, at least in the short run. And there, there are certain initiatives underway which try to inform the, the public in regards to the dangers of a smart grid. As a matter of fact, I read some newspaper articles in Canada, and you may know that the government of British Columbia tried to mandate that every single home in British Columbia should be outfitted with a smart meter. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I can, I can send you the article. Uh, Do, please, yes. You can, you can link it on your website. Mm -hmm. And if I recall correctly, about 60,000 or even more than 60,000 citizens refused to allow the installation of a smart meter. And due to the number of people who protested, the government relinquished and allowed them to have their own analog meters as before. So I believe it's a number game. If enough citizens complain or uh, refuse the installation of a smart meter, I believe the political authorities 
will take notice of that and will at least relinquish to some degree. But ultimately, I believe it will not be successful because the smart grid can only function if it is implemented 100%. And in that particular report, which I read in the newspaper, the power company complained that it is impossible for the company to run two different systems simultaneously, the old analog system and the new smart grid system. They said this, this is just too costly for them. So the governmental authorities will have to make a decision one way or the other. And my expectation is that they will opt to implement the smart grid system instead of the analog or leaving. They will get rid of the analog. I believe this will be the ultimate political decision. And if it will be the ultimate decision, then obviously force has to come into play if some people, even thousands of people, will still refuse. Indeed. But it does seem to... You do seem to be saying that uh, the the greatest hope really is for people to become aware of the dangers of the smart meter itself. That's where our attention should be focused as the item that people should resist. I mean, it's very easy to look at a brochure, look at the item itself and think, well, this is just a meter. There's nothing wrong with this. But actually, when you're saying yes to this meter, you're actually buying into the whole system, not just as it is at the moment, but as it might develop in the future. You're buying into the whole system. And as people become aware of that, then I think there's a greater chance that people will be prepared to resist it. Do you agree that our whole attention really should be focused on the meter and that people should come to understand they are buying into a complete system? Yes, this is exactly my thought. I believe we should concentrate on the smart meter. And yes, it is not just a mechanical device, even though it looks like it. But once it is installed, it is part of a system. And the system is a political control system which will be implemented or at least that's the plan globally and it will control your life and when you're saying yes to the the smart meter and having it installed in your home the decision you're making has implications for everybody else so there really is a moral dimension to this yes obviously yeah a moral and religious uh, dimension because if we really think of technology not just as a political system but as a as a new religion a religion which has been around for 200 years, then obviously it becomes also, uh, beyond the moral dimension, it becomes also a question in regards to your whole worldview. Now, I talked with certain pastors and tried to enlighten them in regards to the dangers of the smart meter because I thought, well, churches will be the places which will be targeted first because if it is truly a, a rival religion to true Christianity, once the smart meters are installed in, in different churches, they will be the main target initially. So I, I spoke with these pastors and they had no comprehension in regards to the dangers of it. They were concerned once I was finished uh, explaining what I, I think the smart meters entail or the installation of these smart meters entail. But I think the general attitude is still complacency. And if not complacency, it is resignation more or less asking the question, what truly can be done? I mean, perhaps I know about the dangers, but my neighbor doesn't. And, and so it's, it's difficult to really organize a mass movement. Mm. It's very difficult for people to come to understand the danger of this because they have to come to understand the whole concept, really. And yet what is presented to them is the meter. Yes. <laughs> Just a new thing, which has all these benefits. 
but really they have to come to understand the whole danger that's presented here so it's projecting forward it's quite an abstract concept really so i think that a lot of people would reject it because there's just too much of a new way of thinking i can imagine yes. a lot of people's attitude would be well this this is ridiculous it's just a meter that's, that's crazy you can't you can't bring all this in as well it's just a meter and it's going to make my house more efficient what what's the bother yes <laughs> now the, the the argument which is foremost in my mind is the religious argument but this is the argument which most people will not understand truly, because most people are not Christians. Mm. So what I realized was that the argument in regards to the loss of privacy is much more effective, or the loss of control over your own power consumption. I think these are the main arguments which should be used, because they would be readily understood by most people if they are explained to them. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very, very good point. Uh, but even so, there's a great deal that needs to be explained for people to understand this. And so what we've been doing today is, of course, part of that conversation. And uh, I mean, there are, there are people who say that what we're doing here today, discussing these things, isn't, isn't real activism. But actually, from what you've been saying today, it seems to me that this is indeed one of the most important things that we can do to be talking about this so that people can understand the dangers that are there and therefore make actual acts of resistance to having these things installed in their homes. So I'm very grateful to you for joining us again on the show to share your experience and uh, your expertise with us, Dr. Adman. And uh, I very much look forward to our next conversation. Yes, well, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Yes, thank you.